Staying Alive in Paragliding, a podcast series with your host, Steph Juncker from Cape Town, South Africa, the owner of Parapax Tandem Paragliding and a competition pilot of 23 years. Real podcasts for real pilots to learn from, to laugh at, and to enjoy the funny and crazy stories that go with it. We are on the line to Clifton Beach or the Glen Beach in one of the most beautiful places of Cape Town, sitting, uh, I would say, mm, quite relaxed because he's never completely relaxed. He's always studying something. He's always researching something. He is one of the most clever guys that I know. He is definitely attaining genius state because John Lazarus, at a young 82 years old, is a guy who never wants to get old. And that's what I'd like to look into today into the mind of a beautiful man or into the beautiful mind of a man rather uh, who is going to tell us about adventure about never wasting a moment in our lives john was a professor of civil engineering that's what he studied but he became a professor of fluid dynamics and hydraulics at the university of cape town traveled the world and when he finished with his studies he still couldn't rest he had to start a new project in the form of City Varsity. Many people in South Africa will know the first film and media school in South Africa. That is the creation of John, who many of his friends said, forget it. You're not going to find students. You're not going to find lecturers. And you're going to have a hard time getting that project together. He aced that. He sold that business. He bought a bit of property, sorted out. Welcome on the podcast. Awesome to have you here. How are you today? I'm excellent, Steph. Very well. Thank you. You're in good health. You feeling good? Are you irritated by lockdown? No, no. Lockdown, I'm one of the lucky ones. Lockdown doesn't have much effect on me at all. I'm living on the beach at Glen Beach. Every afternoon I go and I walk uh, 20 times up and down the dunes and I go for a swim in the sea. Nobody comes here. Nobody stopped me. I refuse to endanger my health by going for a walk on the promenade between 8 and 9 o'clock because nobody gets up before 8, even though they say between 6 and 9, they go between 8 and 9 like a lot of sheep walking up and down. We're not getting social distancing going there. So I refuse to go there and rather do my exercise here on the beach. There's 15 houses all together and only four of them. Now, you are a youngster who, at 73 years old, I had the honor of taking for a tandem flight because we met kite surfing. You and I got talking about paragliding. Since then, you've owned countless paramotors. You love the PPG. You love the powered paragliding. You love to be in the air. But that's not all you love. You love uh, a stand-up paddle. You love a kite. You love the wing foil. You have a one-wheel bike, the electric one. You have an e-bike. Electric skateboard (laughs) and a normal skateboard, which I use with a paddle. It's called land paddling. What drives you to do all of these things? Is it just an experiment in your own ability? My problem is, Steph, I have have two problems with my personality. The one is I have an inability to foresee consequences. So I go and do things. And sometimes it turns out well and sometimes it turns out badly. But I don't have any fear of, of trying something new. So I started kite surfing at 63 when I was still a young man. I started windsurfing many. I, I, before that, I'd windsurfed and I'd sailed and I'd wrestled and I'd played chess and done all sorts of things and worked at the university. And I got absolutely fanatical about kitesurfing. I 
traveled all over the world to go and find places to kite surf, to the Bahamas, to Hawaii, Mauritius, everywhere. I also did a lot of paddling, did the Berg River a few times, the Berg River race, and also uh, surf ski paddling, race around Robben Island. I've actually been to Robben Island five times, once on a surf ski, once on a kite, twice on a stand-up paddleboard. I haven't flown there yet on my power paraglider, but I did second Keith, who flew back on his power paraglider from Robben Island. I've kite surfed there, and I've windsurfed there, and I've paddled there. You have stand-up paddled there last year and this year on a race that exists to cover the nine kilometers in the open ocean on a stand-up paddle to go out there. And at 81 years old, you were saying to me, oh, I, I made it there, but I couldn't make it back. Man, to make it nine kilometers on a stand-up paddle in the open ocean at 81 years old is formidable. And now you are complaining of shoulder problems. What kind of regrets do you have in your life? I have many regrets, but they better not spoken of in public. <laughs> <laughs> I assume some of them are involving some kind of sexual activity. Absolutely. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Now, you mentioned the Berg River uh, Marathon a little bit earlier. That was the closest you uh, have admitted to me you've ever come to dying. Tell me what happened there. Yeah, the Berg River was in flood. There was a tree that had fallen across the river, and I crashed into the tree, and I lost my K1, my kayak, and I lost my paddle. And I was being swept along underwater, looking up at the surface of the water and thinking, fuck, I don't want to hit a tree here. And then I hit a tree with my back. And I must have been knocked unconscious because I floated up to the surface. Somebody pulled me out the river, injected me with morphine. So I didn't have my boat and I didn't have my paddle. So I decided to drive home, not realizing that I had four broken ribs near my spine. And the morphine wore off halfway home. So I was in huge amount of fucking pain then. That was the closest I came to drowning and getting killed. And I've come fairly close to getting killed quite a few times, as I think you have as well. Maybe we both have a guardian angel. Maybe we both can talk about this concept that you and I have kind of disagreements on, the concept of luck. Tell me your stand on that very word, luck. Well, when I think of some of the things that have happened to me and some of the situations I've been in my life, some bad situations, and I've survived, I can only attribute that to luck, and luck is an unknown thing. For, for example, once I was very early on in my power paragliding career, it was about my third or fourth flight, and the toggle, the hand toggle that you use for steering, when I got into the seat, I reached up and I tried to grab it. I grabbed it and I let it go, and it flew around the back of the motor, and had that got caught in the prop, there's actually nothing that would have saved me. So it was pure luck that it didn't get caught in the prop. And that sort of thing, that, and that's happened to me, that type of thing has happened to me a few times. For example, one time I was windsurfing many, many years ago when I used to windsurf every day. I used to go after work to windsurf. I used to say to my students, time to do a down the line, and we would launch our windsurfers at Milnerton and do a down the line to, to Blowbird. And one day I just went by myself. I did a down the line on my windsurfer from Milnerton to Blowbird. And I came in at Blowbird. And I saw a rock with barnacles on it in front of me that I wasn't familiar with that rock. And I was going too fast to do anything other than just sail right over it, it was semi-submerged. I sailed over this rock, came into the beach. Everybody was standing there with their mouths open, said, you just windsurfed over a whale. 
Ah, that's fantastic. I would like to ask you which of all your toys, you're a guy of 82, you've done a few things. What is the most fun? If I look at your garage, you're like a little boy who wants to own all the toys. As I said, there's the one wheel electric thing, there's the e-bike, there's the skateboard that's electric. Um, there's the land paddling, there's the paraglider, there's the PPG. You've even had little paragliders. You've had speed wings. You've had all sorts of stuff. I'd say the, 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 the activity that I got most excited about in my life, which is the cleverest activity of them all, which is kite surfing. Kite surfing, I was totally entranced by kite surfing. And for 10 years, I, I was fixated on kite surfing. And I think that, is, that, that was the, fav- the most favorite sport and also power paragliding. Paragliding is a very clever idea as well. Kite surfing is a clever idea. You take a, a kite, you fly it in the air, and you can go skimming across the water. It's a clever idea. I like clever ideas. Uh, the power paraglider. You put a motor on your back, and you have a piece of material in the air with some string attached to it, and you can go flying by yourself. So these are probably the two most favorite toys. But lately, I've been quite excited about this land paddling. Take a normal skateboard, use a paddle, like a stand-up paddleboard thing. You can stand-up paddleboard when the conditions are not good for going on the water. I love stand-up paddleboarding. I love doing that in the sea, on rivers, uh, in the waves. The best thing has always been kite surfing. Windsurfing before that was fantastic. Sailing before that was fantastic. So, obviously, we live in one of the world's greatest places for, for kite surfing, uh, the Bloberg Coast, where we kite. Uh, has perfect wind and really, really nice uh, waves and beautiful conditions to kite. Uh, you kited in the early days with Ant Burzak and the boys when there were just two string kites. Tell us about those early days of kite surfing. Well, uh, I, I started doing kite surfing. I started windsurfing with my son, Dirk, and he's much younger than me, and he became a very good windsurfer, and he went the racing route and he became South African national windsurfing champion. And he went overseas to do world windsurfing contests. I, I'll never forget, that he was in his first year of medicine. And he came to me and he said, Dad, if I go to the worlds to windsurf, I'm going to lose a year because I won't be able to write the exam. What should I do? And I said, Dirk, go. Forget about the exam. And he went. There he saw people windsurfing in the waves. And he came back with this idea of windsurfing in the waves. Nobody was doing it at that stage. So he took an old surf ski, which I had, and we pumped it full of foam to make a wave windsurfing board. And it was so heavy, we couldn't lift it up. (laughs) You know how one thinks that somewhere else is better. And so I went to the Bahamas to kite surf. I went to Mauritius to kite surf. I went to Hawaii to Hawaii in those days was the mecca of kite surfing. Then I wrote an article for the magazine that we uh, that, that was being produced at the time, Gust Magazine, comparing all the places in the world that I'd been to. It was about 15 places. And you know which place came out the best? Right here, Dolphin Beach in Cape Town. And now everybody knows that. But of course, in those days, people didn't know that. My next question is about our electronics, about our, uh, our modern age. Now, at 82 years old, you've obviously gone through a period before the internet, you were already well an adult before anything like a cell phone. When I come to your house and visit you, there's always a bevy of electronics. You've got all sorts of chargers. You've got every kind of, I'm looking at your watch. You've got some kind of special watch. You've got every kind of GoPro camera. Do you feel that we are completely and totally 
uh, addicted to our cell phones. Yeah, I do think so. I mean, you go to a restaurant and you see two people sitting at a table and instead of holding hands and looking into each other's eyes, they're both sitting on their cell phone, tapping away, sending messages to other people. Uh, I think this is a bit of a problem and, and I get quite annoyed. But I'm just as addicted to what is called a phone. I don't regard it as a phone. I'm just addicted to it as anyone else. But it's far more than a phone, as we all know. It's a post office, it's a library, it's a shop, a music center, it's a video recording device, it's a camera, it's, it's a hundred other things. It's a totally amazing device that we could never have dreamed of. I mean, had we t spoken about something like that when I was younger, when I was doing my PhD on a computer the size of the room that I'm sitting in now, which hasn't didn't have the capacity that this little has I mean it's 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 ridiculous it's it's when a student drew managed to get his computer to draw a line you were so excited and now we use it for designing it just about anything best story about computers if you want me to tell it the best story yes, and I know you'll appreciate this because you're a chess player and you know that they designed this computer to play chess and the way they designed it to play chess is they fed all the games into it, and then it beat the world champion chess player. And then they got hold of another computer called the Alpha Plus, and this one they didn't put any games into it, they just showed it the moves and got it to play with itself. And he beat the other, com that computer beat the other computer that had beaten the world champion. This is artificial intelligence coming out, and... Uh, just by looking at the parameters and the possibilities and the algorithms that were possible. It just worked it out for itself. Obviously, you, you know, not being a youngster, are looking at the world with a different eye to somebody who's 30 or 40 years younger than you, or let's say 60 years younger than you. Where do you see us going? Do you feel optimistic about the future? Do you feel that we're on a path of self-destruction? Do you think this artificial intelligence, this AI that's coming up is uh, worrying for you? What I have found, Steph, is that the more people I listen to and the more I read and the fact that we're going through this pandemic at the moment, nobody really seems to know where we're going. We don't know whether it's better to have lockdown or no lockdown. We don't know whether the, the, the amount of people that are going to die because of the lockdown. In fact, that seems to be the general opinion nowadays, that the amount of people that are going to die because of the lockdown is more than the amount of people that are going to die because of the coronavirus. It's almost impossible to know where we're going to go. But man is very innovative, and I'm sure we'll find a way out. I think there are many positive things to the lockdown that are side effects. You had a million people driving in their cars, in their metal boxes. Now people aren't doing that anymore, they've realized, which is something that I often thought, why are they doing that? Why aren't they just working at home? And they're doing that, and many people can work at home. But of course, the real work can't be done at home. Real work is done by people who actually work in factories and make things. I'm just going to digress for one minute because that's the biggest problem in South Africa. If you don't mind my saying, the biggest problem in South Africa is the lack of artisans. Artisans are not revered and respected and looked up to and trained properly. Artisans are people who make and fix things. Mechanics, welders, fitters and turners, electricians, plumbers. The ANC, which is a disastrous government, has not understood that or realized that. Sorry for that. Yeah, John. 
No, no problem at all. I, I appreciate your honesty and I, uh, I, I have no problem with something political to be uh, put into the podcast uh, as well. It's how you feel and I think it's uh, on a lot of people's lips, but I think a lot of people are either denying it or, or, or trying to ignore the problem or anything like that. And we, uh, you know, we live in a country in South Africa where the, where the future has always looked uh, very positive and great, but now things are starting to look really uh, quite challenging for our future. Well, there were 10 million people unemployed in South Africa before the coronavirus started. What's it going to be like afterwards? 17 million people unemployed. I mean, you can't run a country like that. The most important thing in life, absolutely, is health. And I'm very lucky, very lucky with my health. You know, I don't wear glasses. My, my health is fine. But it's going to deteriorate because the problem is that Things happen, start happening very quickly when you get older. Life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. And you're left with the little roll in the middle. No toilet paper on it. I thought you were going to say something about, about shit, but that doesn't matter. That's all good. John, another message. I would like you to give some kind of encouragement or some kind of tips that you would give to somebody who's 20, 30 or 40 or 60 years younger than you who's into adventure sports. Um, somebody married or not married? <laughs> uh, what advice would I give to a young person? Look after your health. Look after your health. Eat broccoli. Eat vegetables, meat, fish, eggs. Um, drink a lot of water. Do exercise. Swim in the sea. Paraglide off the mountains. Kite surf. Do all those things. I spend much of my life focusing on work. Uh, I think I worked too much and too hard in my life. I enjoyed it at the time, the work, but I think, and I think now those people are realizing that. People don't seem to work like they did when I was young. They, they don't work so much. And there are far more opportunities. There are far more, many different things that one can do nowadays. When I was young and we had to choose a, a career, you either went to university or you went and became a printer or something like that. Nowadays, you can do so many other things like City Varsity, which I started. You can do film and television production and sound recording engineering and special effects, decor painting and makeup and uh, animation. And there are just hundreds of different things that you can do nowadays. Many of them involve sitting at a desk in front of a computer. I get back to my old theme. We do need artisans. We do need people who can fix things. I've built all my houses that I've lived in myself designed them and built them using contract labor and doing much of it myself. I've done brickwork, I've done carpentry. I think that you have to do multiple things. You have to do sport, you have to work with your hands, you have to work with your brains, read a lot, play chess, because I love chess. But there are other games nowadays that people play. My one grandson just plays computer games all day long. It's a good thing and a bad thing. I don't think that there's anybody who looks back and goes, oh, I should have worked more in my life. Anybody who has had any kind of success would probably look back and go, oh, I worked too much in my life. I don't want to be lying on my deathbed and thinking, oh, I should have tried that. I've tried everything that I want to try. There are obviously a lot of things I haven't tried, but I don't particularly want to try them. But I've certainly tried everything. I've never, I've never wanted to do something and not done it. I think that's the important thing. Don't want to do something, not do it. I think there's a big message in that there, John. I think the message is very clear there. 
if we want to do something, just go out and do it. Be like Rian Mansa, get on your bicycle and go and say, uh, go and uh, cycle around Africa. Don't let money or the lack of money be a limiting factor. I think that's a really big one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't want to get to your deathbed and say, I wish I, I'd had more sex and I wish I'd had adventures and I'd wish I'd seen more countries and I wish I'd played more sport. You're never going to lie there and say, I wish I'd done more work. Never. I probably worked far too hard when I was younger. You know, after I did my degree in, in engineering, I went to live in Ghana for a while because I objected to the apartheid government at the time. I did a master's through the Cape Town University, and then I got offered a job at UCT, University of Cape Town. And I came back and I worked and I did my PhD and I did a lot of contract research. And I started a research unit called the Hydro Transport Research Unit. So I think I worked, I did too much work. I still did my windsurfing and my cycling. I cycled 15 August tours then. I still managed to do that, but um, I did a lot of, I did a lot of work. I was sitting in my office one day and uh, this Chinese guy came in wearing a string vest, muscles, holsters with guns on each side of his hips. And he said to me, do you teach English? He didn't quite say it like that because he could hardly speak English. You teach English? I said, well, I can, I suppose. He says, okay, we go to China, we get students. I said, okay. And I wrote out all the prospectuses and I went with Mr. Yin to China to recruit students for the language school, which I hadn't started yet. <laughs> I had all the prospectuses there, no lecturers, but just looking for students. And I had a lot of adventures in China, as you can imagine, with this mad psychopath. That sort of didn't quite get off the ground, the English language school for Chinese students. In the process, I bought a building and sold it. And with the money, bought a holiday house in Strasby. But I'll never forget Absolutely. Mr. Yen, I must say. Tried to get me to smuggle a suitcase back to Cape Town and lots of adventures there, which I can speak about for a long time. I think this is a good moment to wrap that. I think you've given some beautiful lessons, given some uh, really beautiful insights into what it is to be a little bit older and to do these adventure sports. I think that anybody listening to this podcast would certainly have appreciated to hear from you and uh, to gain something that hopefully is thought-provoking for them and uh, better their future. Any last words you would like to say for the universe? Okay, one thing that's very important is friendship. Look after your friends. I, I tend to be a bit neglectful, and, and that's another little regret that I have. Don't neglect your friends. Very important. Friends and family. Uh, friends and family. Well Thank said. You. That's a brilliant <laughs> Thank you, Steph.